Friends, even though we're on a break from the regular recording of the podcast, we wanted to release this special episode, which is a talk Isaac gave at a local church here in Birmingham. We hope it's encouraging for you. Hope you enjoy this while we're uh, getting ready for season 10 to launch early next year. We also wanted to let you know that we have a matching gift opportunity through the end of the year that all donations up to $50,000 will be matched by a generous donor. So if you are considering supporting United We Pray, now's a great time. Thanks so much. Grace and peace. Good evening. Let me do it one more time, though. That was good. Good evening. Amen. There we go. Uh, Let me just start by saying if at any point during the night you are encouraged, you feel free to shout out amen, okay? And you can say ouch if you can't say amen. So there we go. Uh, Like Jeremy said, I'm uh, a pastor at ICC Iron City Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I've been there one year, so I'm a new pastor, so y'all can pray for me uh, there as my ministry begins there. Uh, I'm the founder of a ministry called United We Pray, and if you have heard of United We Pray before five minutes ago, can you just raise your hand? Great, perfect, excellent. Uh, Let me talk about it just for one second. United We Pray is a ministry devoted to praying about racial strife, especially between Christians. We are really out to help Christians think and pray about race. And we wanna help them in a way that is biblical, in a way that is clear, in a way that is helpful, in a way that's hopeful. We actually wanna talk about the issue as if Jesus really did get up from the dead. So you can go to Pray, the letter U, W-E-P-R-A-Y, dot org for more information. We got articles, we do a podcast. Uh, Austin, can you just stand up real quick so people can see you? Uh, Austin is really the one who runs United We Pray, uh, and we do this ministry together. Um, As you all heard, uh, I'm the author of this book, Talking About Race. I actually have this copy I'm happy to give away for free to someone who will read it. Someone wants to volunteer right now and say, I'll take the, okay, my man right here. Here we go. Austin's going to run it to you just right here in the middle. Uh, We have more free books we can give away. We're going to be out there. I think it's called The Cafe. It's called something. Uh, We'll be out there uh, near our little banner out there. We have books and t-shirts, these cool t-shirts, yeah, uh, for free uh, to folks who come while supplies last. I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to dive in. So let me pray for us one more time, and let's begin. Father, your word is clear that if we lack wisdom, you tell us to do something so basic. You tell us to ask. And so we ask for wisdom in this time, the wisdom that is from above, that is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, impartial, sincere, full of mercy. Father, we ask for that wisdom to cover this time. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, I'm going to give one talk, and then we're going to see if we have time for some Q&A. You can be thinking of questions uh, and some time for prayer. I'm going to also be back, Lord willing, next week, uh, and we'll give kind of part two to this talk. So tonight's talk is why is it so hard to talk about race? I'll hop into it in in one minute. Uh, And next talk, uh, next week, will be uh, what can I do? Just answering that question that I'm asked all the time when I teach on race and racism, what can I do? And getting very practical about how you as gospel people can respond and act in light of 
this conversation. So that'll be next week. And next week, I think we'll pray a whole lot more. So at United We Pray, it's not just in our little title. This is what we do. We like going to churches and praying together. Uh, but I'm going to talk more just to kind of get us set up for that time. We'll see how much time we have tonight to pray together. But let's start with this talk. And let me just start with this question. Why is it so hard for Christians in America to talk about race? I mean, have you ever asked a question like that? Why is there so much defensiveness and division, suspicion and strife on racial matters among those who claim to be united in Jesus? After all, aren't Christians supposed to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, James 1.19? Aren't we to be truth and love speakers, Ephesians 4.15, and burden bearers, Galatians 6.2? Can't the gospel overcome any barrier, including ethnic divides, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22? If so, if all that's true, why is it so hard for us to speak with grace and truth about issues of race? Friends, I ask this question because as the last year, the last couple years, the last 10 years, the last 100 years, Last, you pick your century. As these years have shown us, speaking about race is an obvious difficulty. And often the obvious things are the most important things, and yet they are also often the most easily assumed or glossed over things. Right? We just rather speed past the difficulty. But if we slow down and stare at the difficulty... Uh, not only will we have a better idea of what to expect in these conversations, we'll, uh, we'll have a better idea of how to love one another through them. Friends, if we appreciate the difficulty of this conversation, I think by God's grace and submission to God's word as we stare at God's son, if we better appreciate the difficulty of this conversation, we'll better appreciate each other. We'll be slower to anger quicker to forgive, quicker to forbear with each other. So if you're here and you want to work for justice or you want unity in your church, I think you'd do well to think about this obvious question. Why is it so hard to talk about race? On one level, we could simply say sin. That's our foundational answer, and it's a wise one. Now, this is James' answer in James 4.1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James essentially said you got beef. It's because you got sin. And even if it's not our sin, the curse of sin, the frustration of this fallen order that causes us to groan, as Romans 8.22-23 talks about, that curse troubles our conversations. So sin is the reason it's so hard to talk about race. But that's an unsatisfying answer, isn't it? 
You likely already knew these conversations are hard because of sin, but even more than that, sin doesn't exactly answer our question about why race, as opposed to other topics, is so hard for Christians to talk about. After all, Christians talk about lots of things in this fallen world with far less difficulty than we do race, work, sports, parenting. I'm not saying those conversations are always easy, but not many of them get us going quite like race. So what gives? What gives? James' epistle helps us here. And notice it doesn't stop at James 4.1. James went on to name specific sins, what they are, who generally commits them alongside other pastoral concerns. So just for example, in James 5, 1 to 4, James explicitly warned the rich of God's coming judgment for their sin of defrauding poor field workers. This passage sounds a lot like Proverbs 13, 23, an unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. So we can see that while sin was James' answer to the question about why Christians are in conflict, it was not his only answer. He dove deeper. And we're going to follow James' lead. We presented the simple answer, sin. Now we'll dive deeper into sin and other issues so we can make progress. And what follows, we're going to break out 11 specific reasons why talking about race is so hard. And here's how we'll do that. We're going to look at bad fruit. That is the things we evidently see happening in our conversations, and then we're going to look at the root of that fruit. That is the reason it's happening. The fruit is the what, the root is the why. And I'm going to try to spell out what we can do in light of these fruits and roots to have more helpful conversations. So next week is going to be, what can I do just in my church, in my neighborhood, on my streets? This is what can I do? to have better conversations. Because I think a lot of people, they're eager to do justice, eager to maintain unity. They can't even have a productive conversation with that person they dread seeing at Thanksgiving, much less on Sunday morning. So we're gonna start here. Why is it so hard for Christians to talk about race? Fruit number one, we try to have every conversation in every conversation. Because, root one, race and racism are broad topics. Why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit number one, we try to have every conversation in every conversation. And we do that because, root number one, race and racism are broad topics. I often call race the Velcro issue because so many aspects of life stick to it. Politics, housing, economics, education. I remember my mother sharing about the first time she had a chili dog. She was five years old, living in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, she ate at a segregated lunch counter and was not allowed to use the restroom as a black girl. And even in that just small anecdote, racism had reached the bathroom, the kitchen counter, a little girl's plate, and her memory too. Oftentimes, our conversations about race are hard because we don't know where to begin. And we certainly don't have the competency to speak to every topic. So what can we do? Specify. Specify. 
We can try to locate our real disagreements. A pastor named Kevin DeYoung speaks to why doing this proves helpful. He says, with racial matters, we are often guilty of making every conversation about everything else. So even though the disagreement started off by talking about colonial American history, we ended up arguing about Donald Trump, mass incarceration, and corporate repentance. To be sure, sometimes everything is connected to everything, but I still maintain that our conversations will produce more light than heat if we can focus in on one argument at a time. By more carefully isolating our real disagreements, we will, better, we will be better equipped to talk responsibly, listen respectfully, and find common ground and move in the direction of possible solutions." End quote. Conversations are, about race are so hard because we try to have every conversation in every conversation. And we do that because race and racism are broad topics. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit number two, we don't always agree on what the injustice of racism is. We don't agree because root two, race and racism are complex topics. It's so hard to talk about race because fruit number two, we don't always agree on what the injustice of racism is, and we don't agree because root two, race and racism are complex topics. Consider the idea of race for a moment. When it comes to race, what exactly are we talking about? A reality, a fiction, a biological fiction, but a social fact. How many races are there? Has the answer changed over time and how? And what does scripture say about these questions? Have Christians always shared an understanding of what it says? Now consider racism. Christians agree that racism is a sin. But what that sin is, particularly, how clearly it manifests, the extent to which it runs throughout society, and who perpetuates it? Well, that's a different story, isn't it? You might have heard what I said above about the Velcro nature of racism, for example, and disagreed. What's more, when it comes to race and racism, we're not just dealing with sin. We're dealing with ideas and cultures that have molded and morphed over time. We're dealing with the implications of other convictions we hold. For instance, just, just take the mission of the church. Let's just grab that one. What we believe the church's mission to be will impact how we think the church should or shouldn't respond to racism. And that's just one example. And we could keep listing examples, but it's clear that often our conversations about race are hard because the topics are complicated. So what can we do? Study. Study. We can study. We can read. We can learn. And listening to all those questions about race and racism a moment ago, my goal wasn't to confuse you, but to show you the difficulty of the matters at hand. Yet the plethora of questions or lack of agreement on the answers doesn't mean the disputes about race are unimportant or that they don't have true answers that can be taught, learned, and clarified. It doesn't mean we should just agree to disagree and on all these important discussions. Rather, the abundance of questions and rebuttals means that the answers will take work. Bible open, 
like the Bereans in Acts 17.11, scripture examining work. Next week, uh, or in the back, of the back of talking about race, I have a list of 10 books uh, that I suggest Christians can begin with. There's a lot of bad stuff you can read on race. There is some good stuff. So you can check out the back of talking about race for that. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit number three. Sometimes we speak harshly because root three, race and racism are painful topics. It's so hard to talk about race because fruit three, sometimes we speak harshly and we do that because root three, race and racism are painful topics. It's one thing for a subject to be complicated. Take the Trinity, for instance. It's complex. It's a mystery. And though it's one that deeply, more than anything, bears upon our existence, it is not an issue spoken about with half as much angst as race. And that's because beliefs about the Trinity have not usually produced the pain that beliefs about race have caused. And no people group has been enslaved because of their view of the Trinity. At least in the history of America, no civil wars have been incited over beliefs about the, di the divine's triune nature. And no one was redlined by the Federal Housing Administration for being a Unitarian. But when it comes to race, the case has been different. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters many people understand to touch upon the core of their identity. So the matters are personal. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters people see in the faces of their children. And so the matters are cherished. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters many people understand to have financially picked their pockets. So the matters are costly. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters many Christians under understand themselves to suffer from today. And so the matters are relevant. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters that stir up painful memories of rejection and indignity and violence. So the matters are tender. They're painful. And because racial issues are so painful, they make our conversations weighty and hard. And sometimes those of us who are pained speak out of that pain. We lash out. We exaggerate. We're acerbic. Uh, maybe because it's, we feel we won't be heard otherwise. Maybe it's because hurt people tend to hurt people. So what can we do? Remember and forgive. Remember that it's possible to be angry but not sin. Psalm 4.4. In other words, sometimes it's okay to be angry. I'm preaching Mark 2 uh, on Sunday, Lord willing. Jesus, angry, grieved over their hardness of heart. Sometimes it's okay. Remember, however, that revenge also belongs to God, Romans 12, 19. And remember that he didn't take vengeance out on you when he would have been right to do so. Uh, Esau Macaulay 
shares a lesson all Christians can learn from black Christians who are righteously angry over, raci over racism. He says, the profound act of God's mercy gives us the theological resources to forgive. What do black Christians do with the rage we rightly feel? We send it to the cross of Christ. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit number four. Sometimes we don't give the conversation enough weight because, root four, race and racism aren't painful topics for everyone. So hard to talk about race because fruit four, sometimes we don't give the conversation enough weight and we don't do that because root four, race and racism aren't painful topics for everyone. Now one reason conversations about race are so hard is because we come to the table with vastly different experiences. So someone may be talking about race, but in a detached manner. For this person, racism is engaged as an idea, not an experience. And what do we do with ideas? We evaluate them, kick them around, test them. We think about them in the abstract, poking and prodding to evaluate the truthfulness of claims against what we previously understood to be true. And this may be fine in some sense, if, if the folks we're talking to likewise know racism as an idea rather than an experience. However, when speaking with someone who has been on the receiving end of racism, speaking in such a theoretical manner, it can be really damaging. Not only damages your listener, it also frustrates the conversation. You know, as we've just considered, when many folks think of racism, they're not thinking in abstractions. They're thinking about things that have happened to them and those they love. For them, racism isn't a mental exercise or a matter of political talking points. It's an experience they didn't have the luxury of dodging. So I'm not from Alabama. I'm from Washington, DC. And I remember when I told my mother uh, that I found a church, she was thrilled because my mom's super godly. And I said, Mom, I found this church. She was like, really, that's wonderful. I said, yeah, uh, it's in uh, Birmingham. And she recoiled in horror. She said, oh, Isaac. And she said, I told the Lord I would never step foot in that city after what they did to those four little girls. And my mom was old enough to be one of those girls. Mom spoke more accurately than she knew. Um, I got to Iron City last October. This past March, my mom unexpectedly went home to be with the Lord, um, so she was never able to visit. Uh, it seems the Lord said, you're going to step foot in a better city, in fact, a heavenly one. But this is what I'm talking about. This is, this is not 10 generations. This is one mom and son. Next. Or oh, sorry, what can we do here? That was all for free. What can we do here? What can we do? Localize our experience. Localize your experience. Frankly, the temptation to speak about race abstractly is a greater temptation for my white brothers and sisters, whom I love. 
One simple thing you can do is be aware of what we just talked about. Don't universalize your experience. Heard it said well by one pastor the other day. Your universe is not universal. Your universe is not universal. So instead, recognize that someone else may have a very real and a very different experience, one that you should recognize as worthy of great sorrow. Okay, next, for real. Why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit five, we disagree on how to apply the Bible to issues of race. We disagree on how to apply the Bible to issues of race because, root five, we read the Bible in different ways. So hard to talk about race because we disagree on how to apply the Bible to issues of race. And we disagree because, root five, we read the Bible in different ways. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God and each invokes his aid against the other. Who said that? Abraham Lincoln said this in his second inaugural address to a war-torn country. And it seems, while to a lesser degree, the same problem remains. The problem is in the Bible. It's that we have different notions of how to apply the Bible. Uh, one friend of mine put it deftly. He said, one reason believers disagree on issues like systemic racism is that we have different intuitions about common grace insights. Some hold deep suspicion, whether consciously or not, about secular scholarship. Others are more open to it as an expression of common grace. So, Christians who agree on paper about the sufficiency of Scripture still end up with different instincts about how to apply Scripture to the ethical challenges of our day. What can we do about this? Name this difference. Name this difference. Scripture is clear in its basic teaching about the gospel. Moreover, no one is allowed to read the Bible however they want. That said, simply recognizing that there can be legitimate differences in how Christians understand implications of Scripture, it can go a long way toward engendering charity in hard conversations. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit six. We don't know how to talk to one another. Because, root six, our churches are largely racially segregated. Fruit number six, we don't know how to talk to one another. Because, root six, our churches are largely racially segregated. Perhaps we could recognize the differences in how we approach scripture if we knew one another. But many American neighborhoods are segregated and so are their churches. You know, time forbids discussing whether this segregation is de facto, de jure, or some mix of the two. But the point is, despite the rise in interracial evangelical churches, most are divided. And it can't be denied that this segregation is because of the church's racism in the past. As Jamar Tisby notes, there would be no black church without racism in the white church. But one distressing effect of this segregation is that it's hard to get to know one another. One author who wrote this book about Birmingham said, why is it easier to vote for a black man as president than it is to grab a beer with one? And so, because we don't know each other, we may very well be ignorant of how members of another ethnicity operate or speak, what they've gone through. 
And often we fill the void of our knowledge with false assumptions and narratives that frustrate any potential conversations further still. So what can we do? We can build relationships with people who are not like us. Build relationships with people not like us. The trend toward multi-ethnic evangelical churches is that minorities attend predominantly white churches, not vice versa. And honestly, until we see the trend going in both directions, where whites will attend faithful gospel churches where they are not in the racial majority, conversations about race will continue to be difficult. I'm not trying to kick all the white people out of your church. <laughs> and we can talk more about this in the q and I have more thoughts, but let's keep going. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit seven. Fruit seven. We fight and quarrel on social media. Someone said amen. amen. We fight and quarrel on social media because, root seven, we're having conversations in the wrong place. Amen. It's so hard to talk about race, fruit seven. We fight and because, fruit seven, we fight and quarrel on social media. We do that because, root seven, we're having conversations in the wrong place. While great good can be accomplished through social media. Social media, by definition, inhibits or prohibits many aspects of conversation. Tone, body language, context. Uh, social media discourages other aspects of helpful conversation. Nuance. It rewards inattention. The faster you scroll, the more content you get. The more polemical you are, the more likes and retweets you get. While these challenges may not be unique to online conversations about race as opposed to other topics, social media has contributed something unique to the racial discourse in America. A horrifying genre of videos of black image bearers being killed. And think back to the last racial tragedy you witnessed. How'd you learn about it? Was it through social media? Think back to the last place you saw people squabbling about it. Was it on social media? Am I saying get off Twitter, Facebook, and the rest? No. But I am saying be careful with them. After all, social media has a disinhibition effect where we're emboldened to say words online that we would never say in person. So what can we do? Talk face-to-face. Talk face-to-face. -face. Matthew 18, 15 says that when we have a problem with someone, we should first go, uh, go and address it with them directly and privately. I mean, how much better would conversations about race be if we had them across our dinner tables rather than across the internet? And this point connects to our last. If we're segregated, we can't talk face-to-face. And even if we have racially integrated networks and churches, are we taking advantage of them? I mean, how many people in this church have never stepped foot, much less had a meal in the home of someone of a different ethnicity? Though social media didn't exist in his day, and though he had much to say, John recognized that some conversations were better face-to-face. -face. Third John, 13 and 14. I got a lot to say to y'all, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. It strikes me that this was John's last letter. 
You can tell the pastoral wisdom had set in by that point. So I'm not going to put it in writing. Just talk to you all when I see you. And we need to recognize the same when it comes to talking about race. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit number eight. We don't know what to say at times because root eight, we're conflicted and lack wisdom. It's so hard to talk about race because fruit eight, we don't know what to say at times. We don't know because root eight, we're conflicted and lack wisdom. One reason that conversation about race are so hard is because when they come up, we can be easily conflicted or realize just how weak our words are. Moreover, in racial conversation, as in any conversation, there is a time to answer fools and a time not to, and it is not always clear which one is which. So what can we do? Discern whether it is time to speak or time to be silent. When conflicted, here are a few questions to ask to determine whether you should continue or start or stop a conversation about race. Here they are. One, have I prayed about speaking with this person? If you lack wisdom as to whether you should talk to that person, do what scripture says, ask God, James 1.5. Next question, do I have a responsibility to say something? Is this a situation in which I should be a voice for the voiceless, Proverbs 31.8? Or point out a brother or sister's sin, Matthew 18, Galatians 6? Or... Am I grabbing a dog by its ears, entering a quarrel, not my own, one I shouldn't enter? Next question. Is this conversation good for my heart and my listener's heart? Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. By beginning or continuing this conversation, am I signing up for unnecessary discouragement? Am I needlessly repeating an offense? Next question, is this conversation good for the building up of my church? As a Christian, it's no longer just you, it's you and these people now. Is it good for them? Will this conversation result in the building up or the tearing down of my church? If brothers and sisters were to listen in on this conversation, would they be challenged and helped or disheartened and grieved? Next question, is the person I'm talking to given to unrighteous anger or division? Scripture is super clear. We should avoid these kind of people. Proverbs 22, 24, Romans 16, 17. Next question, does the person act as if they're interested in a good faith conversation? Do they want to make friends or make a point? Do they want to win over people or win an argument? Are they willing to be one? In other words, are they open to their minds being changed? If not, consider talking with people who actually want to have a conversation. There are lots of them out there, and you only have so much time. The days, after all, are evil, Ephesians 5.16, and short, Psalm 103.15. We are more obligated to speak to some people, let me just say, than others, family members, we could go on. Uh, and I should qualify that as a pastor, I offer my time to the members of my church, regardless where I perceive them to be on racial matters. But this, this list, I think, still offers a helpful rubric for considering how far to even go in these conversations, brother pastors. Next, 
Why is it so hard to talk about race fruit number nine? Even if we did know what to say, we'd be afraid to say it. Because root nine, we fear receiving or inflicting pain. It's so hard to talk about race because even if we did know what to say at times, we'd be afraid to say it. Because, root nine, we fear receiving or inflicting pain. pain. Praise God. I am convinced more Christians than ever want to get issues of race and racism right. Genuinely. That's why you come here on a Wednesday night. I want to get this right. I want to do it right. I want to be faithful. We don't want to make these issues worse. We don't want to be insensitive. And when we see the weight of these matters, as we talked about earlier, and the harm that can happen if we drop that weight, we tremble. We retreat. Or if we do talk, we speak mainly with those with whom we feel safe. The truth is, it's not that hard to talk about race with everyone. We likely have people we, we feel safe enough talking about these matters with because we trust them. And we feel as if they will be nice to us and give us a, our sincere questions and qualms of fair hearing. But outside of that group, we don't have the same confidence. I mean, have you ever felt that you'd love to share your honest opinion about a racial ma matter, but you didn't feel like you could? Maybe you felt like the race conversation is often just about black and white, and we could really benefit from talking about the Asian or Native American or Hispanic struggle, but you didn't feel safe to share that thought. And maybe you tried to share your thoughts before, and the conversation blew up. You were met with defensiveness and disregard. Maybe you were called names even by your own friends. Beloved, ask yourself, who would want to sign up for that again? Who wants to enter a conversation in which there is a lot of criticism and little grace? Like, sign me up. What can we do? What can we do? Take it easy. Take it easy. We will make the work of entering these conversations easier if we go easier on each other. In Titus 3, Paul instructs Titus to remind his people to avoid quarreling and to be gentle toward everyone. Not everyone who agrees with you, toward everyone. When it comes to these conversations, we have two options. We can outlaw them. You can't talk about that here. Don't, don't bring it up. Or we can lower the temperature. Lower the volume. Take it easy. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit 10, we don't think well about race and racism. Because root 10, we haven't been taught well. So hard to talk about race because fruit 10, we don't think well about race and racism. Because root 10, we haven't been taught well. 
One reason that conversations about race are so hard is because too many American evangelicals lack thinking with biblical nuance. Sadly, when it comes to using our God-given brains, evangelicals often only have two speeds. For the evangelical, if something is not essential for salvation, it's often regarded as unimportant. Issues then are either of speed one, ultimate importance, or speed two, no importance. Uh, Reflecting on the sin and scandal of evangelicals refusing to love the Lord with our minds, Oz Guinness elaborates on evangelicals' poor thinking habits. He says, American evangelicals characteristically display an impatience with the difficult, an intolerance of complexity, and a poor appreciation of the long-term and disciplined Correspondingly, we often demonstrate a tendency toward the simplistic, especially in the form of slogans or overly simple either-or solutions, end quote. The either-or mental proclivity is why evangelicals often pit two good things against each other, evangelism versus justice, the spiritual versus the social, man's responsibility versus God's sovereignty. We can keep going. It's why we often see those who disagree with us as part of the faithful or as a full-blown heretic. We only have two speeds. And I think the blame for this kind of thinking is largely to be laid at pastor's feet. Hello. I mean, why do, (laughs) why do, Why do people not think deeply about the sin of racism? Our people, in our churches. It's because we teach on the need to confess and battle lust and greed, but not partiality. As a pastor, brothers, I know how difficult it can be to teach on these matters, truly. To be sure, no pastor can or should be an expert or armchair sociologist or political pundit. And it is easier to become one of these than you might think. And yet we shouldn't fall into the other side of the ditch either, the side of complete reticence. Because pastors, when it comes to justice, the Bible is not silent. When it comes to the image of God, the Bible is not silent. When it comes to love, the Bible is not silent. No doubt. We can only say so much, for the more specific we get, the more we are binding consciences to something scripture does not necessarily specify. So if you're here and you're frustrated with your pastors, like why don't you tell us to do this as a church? It's because maybe the Bible hasn't said to do that as a church. So maybe you should go do that in your individual life and calling and capacity. God bless you. But we are actually not trying to tread and stampede on people's consciences as pastors. That said, Pastors, we should also realize that some of us have wrongly divorced matters of race from discipleship. And we have taught our people to do the same. That's a political issue. In doing so, we've wrongly taught our people that Christ's lordship doesn't extend to this area of their lives and their understanding, but it does. We wrongly refuse to model how to have these conversations for them, and they have floundered for it. So what can we do? Get a 10-speed bike. Get a 10-speed bike. In some sense, the suggested action items above will help you think better, but a crucial one is this. Find a friend who thinks well and who disagrees with you. 
that kind of friend as like a 10-speed bike on which your thinking can ride around on and be improved. A white pastor comes to mind who once had very strong thoughts on reparations. That is, until he spent time with a group of black pastors. Beloved, diverse friends enrich thinking. And we're simply going to have to have more speeds than heretic and faithful if we're going to love one another and work together. We're going to have to watch more than Fox News and CNN. We must recognize that someone disagreeing with us or with our perspective is not necessarily synonymous with that person disagreeing with God. Someone disagreeing with us and our perspective does not necessarily make someone a Marxist or a racist. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit 11. Not all of us want to have a conversation. Because, root 11, we don't want to hear it. It's so hard to talk about race because, fruit 11, not all of us want to have a conversation and we don't want to have it because we don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I'm tired of it. It's tempting to think that there's a perfect way to talk about race. And if we just use the right words, then our problems would be solved and we would all get along. Years of having these conversations have shown me that this ideal is but a fantasy of the uninitiated. To be sure, there are better and worse ways to talk about race. That's why we're having this talk. But sadly, in some cases, it doesn't matter how biblically faithful one's presentation is. There are some folks who, when it comes to race and racism, they don't want to hear it. Or simply, they don't want to hear another perspective. Maybe it's because they fear what learning about race and racism will mean. Maybe it's because they wrongly assume that unity means that we can never disagree. Unity does not mean that. Maybe it's because they prefer their narrative of the world. Maybe it's because it's really hard to change someone's mind. Someone said once, ideas easily come by, our ideas easily lost. Meaning people believe what they believe for a reason, and they're going to hold to it. Whatever the case, if sinful stubbornness is our problem, the action step is simple. What can we do? Repent. Repent. Friend, if we've been hard-hearted about issues of race, we can either dig in our heels or turn our eyes toward Jesus. In him, we find a savior who is tender and forgives our, our callousness, a keeper who shores up our insecurity, and a friend who welcomes us despite our pushback. There is hope for us yet to repent. The Holy Spirit is not done with us yet, which is another reason conversations about race among Christians can be so hard. Sanctification is happening at different rates with different people on different issues. That can be disorienting. We change. Our friends change. We change at different rates and on different topics. And that change can happen without our even realizing it. You know, I wonder if some of us felt like, man, I posted this on Facebook five years ago. It was totally fine. Posted the same thing five weeks ago, and it blew up. 
Now we can look up and we feel like we're in a room we once knew, yet we no longer know where the walls are. But we're safe. Why? Because though the walls may be gone, Jesus is not. All right, friends, that's it. Before we pray, because I'm going to make the decision we're going to pray. Uh, I'm sure Q&A would be fascinating and intriguing, and we can do it next week. Uh, but I'd rather spend our time in prayer. Um, because I think prayer is just of the utmost importance. And so uh, we'll just pray for the next few minutes, and here's how we're going to do this. But before we do that, before we get there, I just want to give you some homework. Because I'm big on thinking. So something for you to think about and something for you to talk about in small groups or with your family. Which of the reasons, this question, which of the reasons for why it's so hard to talk about race resonated with you most? And why? Which reason resonated with you most and why? And which reason did you disagree with most? Which reason would you add? So which resonated with you most? Which did you disagree with most? Which, um, one, which, what's a reason you would add? This is not an exhaustive list, I hope. It's just a list to get us started. All right, here's what we're going to do um, in the last 11 minutes that we have. We live in a very loud world. I want us to just take a minute to be quiet. Uh, if you need to get up, don't be embarrassed. Um, just be quiet before the Lord and pray about anything stirring around in your heart in light of what we just talked about. Let's take a minute to do that. I hate interrupting prayer, but for the sake of time, I'm going to keep going. Um, the reason I want to end with prayer is because of something I said earlier. Uh, when it comes to race and racism, it's my conviction that we are not in foothills. We are at the foot of a mountain when it comes to this problem. What do we do with this? Centuries of history. What can I do about this? And Jesus was super clear in Mark when... It came to doing stuff with mountains. He said, ask me, and you'll toss that mountain into the sea. And uh, in a moment, we're going we're gonna to pray to God together, and I'm just going to have us break out into groups. Um, but I just want to encourage you with this little meditation I wrote on prayer in my quiet time the other day. Uh, it's in light of Hebrews 4. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we might find grace and mercy and help for our time of need. And this is what I'm writing. We often approach God timid, with a sense of guilt, as if we don't deserve to be asking, but that's just it. That's the wonder of prayer. We don't deserve to be asking, but Jesus does. 
That's why we pray in his name. And yet so often as Christians, we ask hesitantly of God, beloved, do not do that. When it comes to God's grace, do not lobby puny prayers into the courtroom of heaven. Make no petite petitions for grace, asking only for a little because you think yourself to have a tiny God who tires of hearing from you about your big problems. Beloved, are your problems large? God is still larger. There is nothing larger than him. You need only let your requests and the frequency of which you cast them reflect something of the size of God's love and heart and goodness toward you. Christian sister, Christian brother, the reality that calms our anxious hearts and helps us see clearly through the fog of our own concerns is that God has endless supplies of grace. So don't come to him thinking he's cheap or broke or hesitant to give as if he has a limited supply of grace that he's worried about running out of and therefore needs to ration accordingly, lest he overdistribute. Such a mindset dishonors God as it portrays his person small, his heart cold, and his capacities and resources limited. But nothing could be falser. No, quite the contrary. The striking truth, beloved, is that we have a God who is independent, independently wealthy in grace. He is rich in mercy, and even better, he's happy to share. In other words, he is as generous with grace as he is rich in grace. Beloved, rest your soul on the pillow of this glorious fact. The demand of your sin could never deplete the supply of God's grace. So ask for lots of grace. Asking for a lot shows you believe he has a lot and is kind enough to honor your trembling request to give you a lot. And such asking therefore honors God. And so, friends, let your prayer requests only accord with the reality that God is infinite in grace. And then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. If you do, you will find your daily manna to be enough, for you can be sure that it comes from a heavenly bakery that is open 24-7. Do you want to pray to this God? Someone say amen. amen. So here's how we're going to do this. Last six minutes. I want you to break out... Sorry, introverts, for doing this, but to break out uh, with whoever you came with, and let's just pray for a couple things. Let's praise God for the progress that has happened as regards race. It's really easy to rob God of glory and act like nothing's happened or nothing's gotten better. That's just not true. I'm here preaching this sermon in Alabama. Uh, so things have changed. Praise God. Let's praise God. And second, let's... Just lament together the times we've acted out of step with the truth that Jesus saves people from every tribe and tongue. That's what Paul confronted Peter about in Galatians 2. Like, yeah, bro, you're tripping. Go eat with those Jews. What are you doing? Or go eat with those Gentiles. So let's praise God and let's lament together. And third, so praise, lament. Third, you're going to have to pray briefly. Uh, pray for your own church that God would do more than you ask or think or imagine on this issue in your own church, because we all need divine help. Praise, lament, ask.
in prayer. 